This is Josh Barrow back with a second episode of Serious Trouble for this week. This week's free episode is all about the Colorado Supreme Court decision saying that Donald Trump must be removed from that state's ballots, that he is ineligible to serve as president. They basically beg the Supreme Court to take up the matter, and uh, Ken and I have an interesting conversation about that. But if you had been a paying subscriber to Serious Trouble, you'd be getting nearly a full hour in this episode. And, and I think you should think about upgrading for that. You can go to seriousTrouble.show slash Christmas, uh, and you can get our sale price, just $45 for a full year of Serious Trouble. Normally, it's $60. That'll give you every full episode, uh, about 50 episodes a year. Uh, it'll make you a member of our community. You'll be able to participate in the comments, and you'll be helping to make this podcast possible that we make for you almost every week. This week, is an especially entertaining episode that I really think you should consider upgrading for. We talk about Rudy Giuliani, uh, who faces a $148 million judgment against him for defamation, how he ended up facing such a large judgment and what it will be like to actually try to collect those funds from him. We talk about Michael Cohen, who seems to have fallen in the chat GPT trap. Uh, he uh, wants to be released early from supervised release and uh, a motion that his attorney filed uh, arguing for that cites a bunch of cases that don't exist. Judges really don't like it when you do that. We talk about action on both the House and the Senate sides of Capitol Hill. Um, lots of hot stuff going on in hearing rooms. On, on the House side, we talk about uh, this hearing with all those college presidents uh, who seemed like they were prepared for a deposition. Ken and I talk a lot about people who have PR strategies and what they really need is a legal strategy. This was kind of people who needed a, a PR strategy and what they had was a legal strategy. We talk about what went wrong there. Uh, on the Senate side, I'm just going to make you wait and see what happened uh, on, on the Senate side of the Hill. Uh, we talk about George Santos uh, and uh, whether he has time to do some reality TV before he goes to prison. And, uh, and I ask Ken what issue he hopes he will never have to discuss again. So again, if you want to hear all of that, go to Serious Trouble dot show slash Christmas. Get us for $45 for a full year. I think that's a real bargain. I think it's a gift that you deserve this Christmas. So go ahead and upgrade. Thanks for listening. Hi, it's Ken White. And it's Josh Barrow, and this is Serious Trouble. Ken, this is our last episode of 2023, uh, and we're taking listener questions on this episode. We also have news to cover, so fortunately, some of the questions you sent were newsy. Let's start with one of those. Hi, this is Steve from Connecticut. How loud do you think John Roberts screamed when he saw the news about the Colorado <laughs> Supreme Court decision? I mean, given Roberts' character, I think it was more of a groan or a moan, or possibly a whimper. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, he was not happy with that. Yeah. So this, of course, this is the decision from the Colorado Supreme Court that says that Donald Trump is ineligible to serve as president uh, because he engaged in insurrection as defined by Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, and that renders him ineligible to be an officer of the United States, uh, such offices including the presidency of the United States, um, which actually was one of the issues in the case, whether the president is an officer of the United States. Uh, so I think people were a little bit surprised by this ruling. The, it was a four to three ruling, and it was four to three even though all seven members of the Colorado Supreme Court are Democratic appointees. Uh, so it didn't have smooth sailing through that court. What do you make of the decision where they they considered all these, both these issues of, of, of sort of arcane Colorado election law, but then also these big constitutional issues and put it all together and said one of the two leading candidates for president is ineligible and may not appear on our ballots? Well, something that made it interesting is that some of the hard work was done by the trial court. So remember, this is a case where there was a trial in Colorado 
And the trial judge said, I find that former President Trump did engage in insurrection based on this factual record, uh, but I find that uh, this provision doesn't apply to the president, this particular provision of Article 3 of the 14th Amendment. And that kind of guided the way things went on appeal, because appellate judges show a lot of deference to trial judge factual determinations based on trials and hearings and things like that. So there really wasn't any disputing that part that Trump engaged in something called insurrection. Also, there was really also no disputing about what the trial judge got wrong. No one seemed to agree that uh, Article 3 doesn't apply to the president. They all seemed to think that it did. Right. The trial judge, for those who, who forget, basically found what Trump's opponents wanted on every issue except one, where the trial judge found that the president is not an officer of the United States, and that therefore, despite all those other findings, and, and despite the fact findings that the, the Trump people were sort of irritated, where they were like, well, if, if the section doesn't even apply to him, why did you bother doing all this fact finding about whether he engaged in insurrection? And this um, is why. And, th- and this is why, because then it went up to the Supreme Court in the state of Colorado, and they said, we agree with all this factual analysis and most of the legal analysis, uh, but actually the president is an officer of the United States, and you put that all together, and he's an So all the dispute is about the the sort of meta stuff that lawyers love and irritates normal humans. Uh, The question of, okay, here's this provision, but who decides and how do they decide? And a lot of this was bound up in the phrase self-executing. In other words, people say, is Section 3 self-executing? What does that mean? Does that mean that it just automatically happens that Trump is ineligible, in which case who has to recognize it and how? Or does someone have to make some sort of finding or determination that he's ineligible because he's insurrectionist. And so the split on the court was along that issue with uh, four of the justices saying, yes, this was an appropriate way to find it. And we affirm the trial court finding it. And the other judges saying basically that we don't think this is a way you can get there. Ken, is 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 that right? I thought only one of the three dissents went into the self-executing issue, and, and the other two were shorter and focused entirely on Colorado law. Well, um, but it, basically saying that the Secretary of State of Colorado does not have the authority to assess whether under Colorado law, or the, there's rather the Secretary of State of Colorado under this particular Colorado statute about who can appear on ballots does not have the authority to inquire into questions like whether someone engaged in insurrection. So it's not it's it's that's not even about section 3. It's about the Colorado election code. Well, they're intertwined because the question is who can recognize it or who can do something about it and is something that is just, you know, a matter of law as soon as it happens. The longest dissent, probably the most uh, detailed and persuasive one, basically said that the structure of the constitution required Congress to come up with something to implement Section 3, and that there was originally a statute that did so, which they later repealed, and that sort of the the remnant of that is uh, an insurrection statute under which Trump has not been convicted. But but they, this justice said basically there, there had to be a particular method, and it was up to Congress to enact it. Uh, the other judges believed that whatever the method, uh, the particular method in a Colorado law was not proper, that the Colorado statute did not reach this far and that it did not allow the Colorado courts to reach such weighty matters as uh, whether or not a president is ineligible uh, for insurrection. But it's mm-hmm. all procedural. It's all about the meta question of who decides this and how and when. Right. 
the ruling says he's ineligible. It also stays itself for a couple of weeks and then potentially longer if the Supreme Court takes this up. They're, also, they're sort of almost begging the U.S. Supreme Court to please come in and, and resolve this issue for all of us. And so do you expect they're going to do that? And if so, are they going to do it pretty quickly? I do, and I think they will because it has such an impact on state ballots and uh, and things like that. Yes, the, the Colorado Supreme Court said we're staying this for a few weeks, and if the Supreme Court takes it, it'll remain... Uh, it'll remain stayed, which means that uh, Trump will be on the uh, the ballot for the primaries, uh, and it won't affect that. I, I do think that the Supreme Court will think that they have to take this on, um, and that uh, they will probably do it quickly because it impacts the primaries, it impacts the general election, and it, it could be seen as a model that some other courts could look to. So I, I do think they'll take it. Um, mm -hmm. And now, of course, there's a huge amount of speculation, uh, just an absolute storm of it uh, over the last 12 hours uh, about what they will do. The, the, the weight of opinion seems to be that they'll overturn it, uh, but the, uh, the dispute is, is over why or how. Right. I guess let, let's talk about what are the options that are available to the Supreme Court, because one of the I mean, we talked about how, you know, the, the, the trial court did all this fact finding and the Colorado Supreme Court, as is as they're supposed to do, takes a pretty deferential stance toward the trial court on these fact questions that they're, they're only supposed to reverse for clear error on that. Whereas when there's legal analysis, they, they sort of, you know, start fresh and do the legal analysis again and can overturn that if they simply think it's wrong. So when the Supreme Court takes it up, is that the same rule with the addition that the Colorado Supreme Court is the ultimate arbiter on Colorado law? So basically, the Supreme Court will be looking only at the legal questions and only at the federal legal questions here? Right. So the Supreme Court is not going to second guess whether or not Colorado election law purports to allow Colorado officials to disqualify Donald Trump based on insurrection. It may decide whether or not Colorado law can have that power, whether it can reach that far. Similarly, it's it's not likely to um, second guess whether the evidence was sufficient to show that Donald Trump had the intent to be an insurrectionist, uh, but it might second guess what insurrection means in mm -hmm. Section 3 and uh, what type of evidence you would have to show to meet the legal standard they decide applies. I mean, uh, so, and all this is is under the rubric that hard cases make bad law and that extraordinary cases like this, courts do weird things sometimes. Uh, mm -hmm. And so um, the normal approaches to deference and judicial conservatism and that sort of thing uh, can get turned on their head. But there are, I mean, I could see some reasonably judicially conservative ways to overturn the, the court here without getting into that. I mean, they could, they could say that Section that section 3 is not self-executing right. um, and that Congress would have needed to pass a law in order to enforce it. Or, I mean, or they could they could come up with some sort of definition of, of insurrection or they could say that, you know, there there is an insurrection statute and that Trump would have to have been uh, convicted or, or, I mean, he hasn't even been indicted under the insurrection statute. It's true. And, and this is a situation where what is traditionally seen as judicially conservative uh, can fight with what is politically conservative. So judicially conservative would traditionally be to give a fair amount of deference to the state to make decisions about who's on its own ballot. Uh, it, it would be to give a lot of deference to lower court factual determinations and to, to limit federal power, basically. Uh, but that's not necessarily what's politically conservative in this situation.
But I mean, would there really, I mean, because th- there's Supreme Court case law that states are not allowed to create new qualifications for federal office. A state can't decide that, in fact, you have to be 50 to be on the presidential ballot in a given state. And so that's that's clearly a, you know, that's a federal matter to decide what the eligibility requirements are. And so, I mean, they're, they're arguing over the, the, an existing federal eligibility requirement and what it means and whether uh, Donald Trump meets it or not. But that seems like squarely a, a federal law issue. Yes. When, if, when framed that way, that's right. Uh, but if you frame it as the procedure to determine whether or not someone satisfies the established federal requirements, that's then different. Uh, so I think that they're going to be focused on, you know, first of all, that this is a, a case with extraordinary uh, impact on the election. It's extraordinarily historical. They know there's going to be a lot of attention on it. Um, and you've got a lot of these sort of conflicting judicial uh, theories and, and uh, philosophies that are coming into play. I think as a, as a practical matter, it's important that all 50 states end up having the same approach to this. It would be an enormous mess to have an election uh, for federal office, for national office, in which different states are operating under different conclusions about who the candidates can even be. Um, and so I assume as a practical matter, that's one of the the things that puts the Supreme Court in a position where it needs to resolve this. It's a huge mess if we have this patchwork where you have Donald Trump thrown off the ballot in 23 states and he's still the nominee. And so one way you could resolve that is by overturning the Colorado court uh, and basically declaring him eligible. What if they affirm the Colorado court? What happens if they decide, you know, actually, and, and and again, you know, some of the legal scholars who made the arguments here that ultimately persuaded the Colorado court, some of them are conservative legal scholars, you know, Will Baud, uh, former federal judge Mike Ludig. There's been a bunch of, uh, of these arguments coming from the right, at least on the academic side. So suppose the Supreme Court is actually persuaded by that. What happens in that case? Oh, God, collateral estoppel, my old nemesis, we meet again. <laughs> uh, so it's complicated, of course. So uh, the Supreme Court's legal determinations obviously are going to be binding. It's determinations about uh, federal law and constitutional law and those issues. The harder question is whether or not the d- determination that Trump engaged in insurrection is binding, and if so, on whom? And uh, because the Supreme Court's not going to, in effect, endorse that finding. They're not going to review that factual analysis and factual finding. They might review whether or not uh, the, the Colorado got the definition of insurrection right. Uh, so then it turns into this, this doctrine called collateral estoppel. To what extent does a determination of one court bind you in another court? And it is complicated because in part it turns on whether you're using it offensively or defensively. So there's a difference in how different states interpret it depending on whether it's Trump suing a secretary of state in a different state saying you can't take me off the ballot and then you can use the finding against him defensively or whether it's someone else in another state suing the secretary of state or suing Trump saying we're trying to take you off the ballot, in which case it's being used offensively. And the law about how defensive or offensive collateral estoppel is used can vary from state to state. Sometimes there's this uh, requirement called mutuality, meaning it has to be the same parties, which obviously it's not going to be because Colorado isn't going to be a party uh, in the other states. But sometimes that's not the rule. So it, it could be that huge mess that you're talking about. 
So basically what we're talking about here is if if there's a court case in some state about whether Donald Trump may appear on the ballot after uh, Colorado's decision is, in theory, affirmed by the U.S. Supreme Court, the question is, is the court supposed to pick that up and say, OK, now I need to figure out whether Donald Trump engaged in an insurrection? Or is the court supposed to pick that up and say, this trial court in Colorado ruled that Trump engaged in an insurrection and that was upheld by the Supreme Court. And therefore, I just follow the ruling that happened in that case that already happened in Colorado, because that's kind of a funny thing, right? It vests a lot of power in this one random trial judge in Colorado who made who made these determinations. It does. And that's why collateral estoppel doesn't always apply and the, why it may make a difference who is asserting it and under what circumstances. So again, it may be that in some states, uh, if um, Trump, let's say the Secretary of State, decides to take Trump off the ballot uh, and Trump sues over that, then it might be usable against him. No, you already litigated this issue in another court you lost. But um, if, uh, if someone sues the Secretary of State and Trump, to try to get him off the ballot, then they're going to say, first of all, well, the secretary of state of this state wasn't a litigant in that case, and uh, you're trying to use it offensively. It's not the same parties and the same circumstances don't apply. So it's a mess. The other thing here is, isn't there a difference between the question of whether you are eligible to serve as president and whether you are eligible to appear on a ballot in an election for president? I mean, does it necessarily have to be the case that that states have to require that only eligible candidates may appear on the ballot? So I believe that the courts have generally treated those as the same question, said that you can't appear on the ballot if you're ineligible uh, to be president. This has been litigated over things like uh, people who are too young or uh, not uh, citizens and things like that. So is Cenk Uger not actually going to appear on any of these primary ballots? You know, the, the young Turks guy who was born in Turkey, who was not born a U.S. citizen in Turkey, running for president, and he has some cockamamie theory about how the natural-born citizen requirement in the Constitution doesn't apply. Um, I, th- I thought he was actually going to be on some presidential ballots, although I, maybe they, I guess in Arkansas, they've already ruled that he can't be on the ballot. So, Well, there's a difference between getting on the ballot um, because no one cares and no one bothers to try to keep you <laughs> off. And being on the ballot uh, after due consideration. So I don't know if anyone particularly cares about him uh, (laughs) being on the ballot. It may not be contested or challenged, so it may be uh, not an issue anyone has tried to uh, dispute. Right. But so basically, the thing I've been sort of musing over this morning before we taped, and I actually emailed Ilya Soman, um, who's one of the the Reddit Center law professors who's been advocating that Donald Trump is ineligible and should not be on ballots, is, you know, would... If the Supreme Court upholds Colorado here, will he actually be off all of the ballots or will this be a sufficiently messy legal situation where you'll have a lot of secretaries of state who do not wish to keep him off the ballot? They'll put him on the ballot, whether the litigation is actually going to clean all that up or whether we can end up with a situation where he's on the ballot in 22 states and people are writing him in in other states and where maybe conceivably he, you know, receives you know, he he has enough electors pledged to him to win the election, even though the Supreme Court has gone against him. Well, not to quarrel with the question, but I'm going to quarrel with the question. I mean, that all assumes yeah. the Supreme Court upholds. And I think that the scen- no, no, sure. The scenario I, yes, you're I, proposing may be why the Supreme Court doesn't uh, uphold the, the decision. In other words, e- in deciding how the structure works and who decides, the Supreme Court might say it can't be that one state's court 
can decide this because if that were the case, you'd wind up with this parade of horribles with all these different states coming to different decisions, and uh, that can't be the right structure. Uh, so, but now accepting your question, yeah, I, I see <laughs> it as a huge mess potentially if the Supreme Court um, upholds this decision and you've got all these different states. Uh, fighting over different positions, and you could have him on some and some not. Because uh, Trump is definitely not going to fold up his tent and go home if the Supreme Court rules against him here. Oh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. We are stuck with him. So uh, we'll, we'll keep watching this. Are we, we're likely to have news again on this pretty soon, right? Like the Supreme Court, I, I assume it'll be, we think it'll be just, you know, weeks before they announce they're going to take this case. Uh, well, it depends on what form Trump uses to seek uh, cert, how quickly he does it, and what he asks for. But I, I don't think we're going to get anything before Christmas. We may not even get anything before the new year, but I think we're going to get something unusually quickly in the context of Supreme Court litigation. Can I ask one more question about collateral estoppel? If you must. So, I mean, we've talked about the various ways in, in which this puts surprising importance on the findings of this one Colorado trial judge who, who went against Trump. Is it a strategic mistake for him to appeal this specific case to the Supreme Court? Wouldn't he be better off if the Supreme Court was considering a case where the fact finder had been more favorable toward him? Because then those would be the findings that would be stopped in other courts? Well, but he, he's got then to find the right one. And one where uh, it's the right mix of things that have to be appealed, but there are also favorable things to him. I also think um, it's it, kind of waiting for the right one might be a little too cute. I mean, you've got here something keeping you off the ballot. You've got something here that I, I think some secretaries of state, there's a real risk uh, that uh, they may find persuasive and may actually get them to start acting in some states. So I don't think he can afford to do that and and just let it go. And, you know, one of the questions in collateral estoppel can be, did you have a full and fair opportunity to litigate something? Uh, and if he basically gives up his right to litigate it to the end, then that can have an impact on that. Let's talk about Rudy Giuliani. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Have you ever been so happy to talk about Rudy Giuliani? I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> maybe the time he accidentally butt-dialed uh, the federal government uh, during a criminal conspiracy. <laughs> but uh, aside from that, I think this is probably the best. That was this week's free episode of Serious Trouble. If you want to hear about Rudy Giuliani and the process of trying to extract $148 million from him, if you want to hear about Michael Cohen's antics in court and uh, ChatGPT, you want to hear about uh, what Ken thinks uh, should the college president should have done differently on Capitol Hill uh, that might have uh, saved them some PR trouble. And if you want to hear about what went down uh, on the Senate side of the Hill and about George Santos and much more, go to SeriousTrouble.show slash Christmas. Uh, you can upgrade there get that sale price, $45 for one year, every full episode of Serious Trouble. Become a member of our community. Help make this show possible. We would much appreciate it. And we really think you'll enjoy that episode. So again, go to SeriousTrouble.show slash Christmas. 